Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. This evening with us, we appreciate that wholeheartedly. We're going to go to the word of the Lord tonight, Sister McGee. As a springboard, I'd like to use my First John four nineteen scripture, if you will, for me this evening. I am. This is usually on Wednesday nights. You know that I normally teach, and normally uh, I'm in some type of series, going through a book or a character or some topic. And uh, we have not been in that mode for a while. Last week I preached and really flipped things up on everybody, and it was like, "Wow, what's going on here?" Uh, but it was all right. It was all right. Amen for a Wednesday. But tonight, I, I, I want to start a series here this evening, and my intention is to finish with it on the last Wednesday of this month. And I, I plan on staying very true uh, to that intention. But the series that I'm, I'm going to talk to us about tonight is, is our mission. And, and that's something that some of you may even know. Does anybody even know what the first apostolic mission statement is of this church that Bishop devised so many years ago? There's a few hands, and so there's many of you that do not. And so that, that, that means that we should probably talk about that every once in a while. And I know I could ask Bishop up here right now, and without script, he would go at it. And the reason why I know that, because oftentimes when I hear him pray, I hear him praying. I hear him praying that. But the the first apostolic mission of this church that was decided years ago was to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. That is what we try to rally around Uh, here is that concept and that idea of that mission statement and so it's good every once in a while to go back and revisit that and see how well we're doing it's good to revisit that to see how well we're doing because the things that we do services we have anything really that we really do should undergird and support what we claim to be is our purpose or our mission as a church and so that's what we're going to try to do this evening I'm just going to take the first phrase tonight to love as God loves and springboard from there this evening just so no one gets nervous over having no scripture amen to start from I'll go to first John chapter number four and verse number 19 as a springboard for this evening I pray God would help us but this is what the scripture says first John for that matter is just overabundance talking about love first John I mean you can't hardly read just a few verses without the word love just crying out to you and particularly first John chapter number four I think in just a few verses of setting it's like mentioned some 27 times love 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 and so if you don't walk away and get the point of what the theme of the chapter was you just didn't read it I mean because just love is all over the place and so this is what the word of the Lord says we love him because he first loved us we love him because he first loved us and so I want to talk to us this morning from that phrase of our mission or this evening rather from that phrase of our mission statement to love as God loves amen I know we've done a lot of praying tonight but we pray one more time God help this old fleshly instrument up here called your pastor amen Lord we love you tonight we thank you Jesus God for being able to be here in this place I pray oh Lord you would touch the people Lord sit in the sound of my voice tonight and help us God as we 
Lord, review and consider, Lord, what we say is our mission, what we say is our purpose, that I believe, Lord, in many regards have much biblical basis. God, that's founded in that purpose and in that mission. Help us, Lord, to identify with that, Lord, to perpetuate it, Lord Jesus, from this place. And we'll give the honor and the glory for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. You may be seated this evening. The lovely name of the Lord. And so to, to, to uh, all the church family here this evening, what I hope that this does for us in the next few weeks is, is kind of brings a sense of accountability, a sense of accountability to us. And for our guests tonight, I hope that through it, you'll see whereby you can be benefited uh, from what we say our purpose and mission is. And I hope that uh, you find this to be true in your experience here at First Apostolic Church. If, if many years ago, and I don't even know how many years ago it was, Bishop, when you wrote this, and you probably don't even remember yourself, uh, perhaps you'd have to go through the paperwork maybe in order to find out. But if this statement alone would have just started to love and did not have the other phrase as God loves, if it just simply said to love, then that statement alone, just to love, would have been subjective to every person that read it or to anyone that said it. Because love means many times different things to different people. People define what love means to them based upon the type of love that they have experienced. Based upon the type of love that they experienced. And so with that said, if you were just to say to love, you, you, you really don't have a, a place where you can drive your stake and have a place of origin if you were just to say to love. Because I guarantee you, in this house and even beyond these walls, uh, there have been people that prior to ever having any interaction with God or, or with the church or anything like that had a certain idea or concept of love. Uh, there have been some people I know that I have met that their idea of love in being reared even in their home and family was just no more than this. It was a place where the parents provided a place where they could stay and that there was food on the table and that was the extent of the love that they had known. And so love is very subjective then to whoever it is. But Bishop so wisely put in there uh, a little defining moment for that love. He said to love as God loves. And whenever you attach that other phrase, as God loves, that little additional phrase changes everything concerning what your concept may have been or may even be of love. When you understand it's to love as God loves. Because as God loves sets the benchmark for us. It drives the stake in the ground. It tells us what our love should be in intensity, in consistency, what type of love it should be. And what we've said then as a church is we're adopting the type of love that God has to be the type of love that we emulate. That's what we're saying. We're saying this type of love that God has in its intensity, consistency, and type, that is what we are reflecting, mirroring, that is what we are going to show. And the Bible has a fancy little word for the love of God. Many may have heard of it or know it, but it's called the agape love of God. It's the love that is of God. It's the type of love that is an unconditional love. Uh, one person said it probably well like this. It says this unconditional love is expressed in abounding goodwill toward people who may or may not have earned it and may or may not accept it. In other words, the love of God isn't just a love that goes to people who have per se earned it or had done something to achieve that love of God. 
The love of God goes to people who he loves them even whenever they are not loving him in return. He is loving them whenever they're showing no interest in the love that he is giving. That is the agape love of God. And so if we say a mission, our purpose is to love as God loves, then we got to harness that same mentality upon our shoulders and backs that we love people that come through our doors or are not even in our doors. We love them unconditionally, that they don't have to do anything to earn our love. It's not a certain checkoff list that we have to earn the love of this church or that they don't have to love us back. To love them through the times that they don't even care if we're here at 1121 Cedar Street. But to continue to love them nevertheless, that is to love as God loves. Amen. The agape love of God is the love granted to someone who needs to be loved and not necessarily to someone who is lovable. The agape love of God doesn't just love because they're lovable or they're capable of being loved. He loves them because they have a need to be loved and probably one of the greatest needs most overlooked needs in all of mankind is a need for mankind to be loved there is a deep unsettling need inside of all of us and that is wanting to be appreciated wanting to be loved someone having a deep sincere interest inside of us and maybe not only in here, but just beyond those doors, there are people walking the streets, going to different places tonight, and they are in a search for love. In a search for love. And so as a church, to love as God loved, we got to love people because people's, whether you realize it or not, people's in need of your love. There's some little kids in need of your love. I will never forget. It was probably one of those things in my life that will forever, I'll ever remember and change my life. But years ago, and it's been a few years now, I, years, you know, whenever you start referring to the past, as you get over it, that past gets further. And years ago, back in, the, in 1998, I remember my wife and I had been married very long. We were preaching a little youth camp out in West Virginia, West Virginia. And there were a lot of kids that came to that camp kids from just very, very uh, tumultuous homes and, and just not the best of scenarios. And we have a picture of this girl and right now. Her name escapes me. It's been so many years. I don't really, really remember the, the home life she comes from, but it seemed like it wasn't all that, so to speak. It was kind of dysfunctional. And I remember being there that week and we were preaching and we were teaching during the day and preaching at night. That that's was our schedule. And I remember this girl. Sister McGee, I know you'll remember her. Uh, she was kind of like a dirty, blonde-headed type of girl sweet little girl uh, I say little she wasn't real little but probably in her pre-teens or teenage years early teens and I remember her putting her arms around me and Sister McGee one time and she said Can, would you all just like to be my parents now she had parents but in that moment I, I, I went back I remember going, I remember tears filling my eyes because what I felt and experienced in that moment was here was somebody right here under my nose that was desiring to be loved. And she is one of many, one of many in our society today that are desiring to be loved. And let me say this, and I might be jumping the horse, but we'll get all around to it eventually. You know, there are times that people act out in certain ways 
but they're not doing anything for vengeance. They're not doing anything to really be mean and cruel. What they're really doing is trying to find someone that will pay attention and somebody that will love them. I believe there is a lot of, a lot of kids that, 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 man, will you mark, man, they're the troublemaker, they're this, they're that. And in reality, what they are is someone that's really hungering for somebody to love them, to take notice. And they're willing just to get attention, even if it's negative attention, just because they want somebody to know that I'm here, I exist, I'm living upon this earth and this life. And you're saying, well, what are you saying all that? I'm saying that's the reason why we exist here as a church, for those very ones those very ones, to show them the love. Oh, they don't deserve that. They're, no, no, they do deserve that. To love as God loves says they deserve that. They need that. Because folks, as a church, we cannot fake loving people. All right. You either love people or you don't love people. And the reality is this. Pull the, pull the, 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 the blanket off and talk of, of the elephant in the room. People know if we love them or not. People genuinely know if you love them or not or if they're wanted or appreciated or if you have any interest in them or not. And most people want that love that is an unconditional love, begging for attention, screaming for love. For that matter, think of the promiscuous lifestyles maybe of a lot of teenagers nowadays. You know, I think what some of that is is someone that's looking for love. They're looking for love at any level, from anybody, from anyone. They just need somebody to love them. Now, we'll cry all day. Man, you know, that, that should be held for the sanctity of marriage. You know, that's great. But have we put forth the effort to love them out of that type of circumstance and out of that type of situation? Uh, and I already said, you know, some of the things that people even do with their bodies nowadays attempt to be noticed. Amen. They're not choosy about the attention they're getting. They just want somebody to pay attention. The Bible says this in Romans 13 and verse number 8. The apostle Paul is writing and he says to the church of Rome, he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He says in verse 10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law what the apostle Paul was saying this to get it straight now he says don't owe a debt to anyone so it's just this big brush no exceptions but there is one don't owe a debt to anyone except for the debt of loving people don't owe anybody any money don't owe them uh, the return of something that you borrowed don't owe them anything but never quit owing them love Always owe them love. Never, if I'd say it like this, never finish paying the debt of love. To people. Whenever, in 1 John, we don't have this up, there's just me, but in 1 John 4 and verse number 7 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. But he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 
When, when we're, we're talking about loving as God loves, God is love. God is the personification, if you will, of love. And when it speaks of that love there in verse 7 and verse 8, it's interpreted in, in that language, the Greek language, which was what uh, the New Testament was written in. It's an interpreted as you're to love habitually. Amen. To love habitually. I think kind of like what Paul was saying. Never stop, never stop paying, never stop finishing paying your debt of love. Constantly, constantly. Oh, see, because sometimes, uh, and I, I joined the group, okay? Sometimes I believe we put limits on our love. Love goes this far, but no further. But that's not what I see in the scripture. That's not what I see with God here. His love, he said, you never stop paying that love. He says you love them. You love them when they don't want love. You love them whenever their actions and attitude are not lovable. You just keep on loving them. You love them unconditionally. Amen. He told them the last phrase there in Romans 13 and verse 10. He said, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Or if I may interpret like this, love is the only law you need. Love is the only law that you need. And so the question, you know, that was asked in New Testament Scripture, there were some that had come to the Lord and they said, Lord, which are the greatest of the commandments? And he told them very simply, I'll break it down as short as possible. He basically said this. He said that the greatest commandments are these, love God and love people. He said all the other commandments that we have, which were numerous, he said hang on these two. But the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.14 even went, he drew the line a little bit more stricter. He said, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Everybody say one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now he gave them a phrase. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But he said the law is fulfilled in one word. The one word he was referring to in the phrase was love. He said it's all summed up in this idea and this concept of love. And there's a reason why we need to love as a church, as God loves. First of all, people that walk in the doors of this assembly most likely have never experienced that type of love. Mm -hmm. Probably never experienced that type of love. A love that's not out to get. A love that's not looking for a trade-off. A love that's not trained to take advantage or has ulterior motives. But a love that says when you walk in, however you are, whatever your past may have been, whatever your day's been like, I'm going to reach beyond all of that. I'm going to reach beyond your past, your mistakes and your failures. And I'm going to love you. I'm going to... Because they shouldn't have to come in wondering, oh, I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I'm proper enough. I wonder if I got what it takes in order to receive. They don't need that. They need to come in with all of their baggage, their hang-ups, and say, oh, if they're a church that loves like God loves, it's not going to matter. Because people will enter this sanctuary and many enter here with battered, battered lives. Remember, even in the Psalms, it was David's distress that drove him to the house of God. Many times they come in here and it's because there's trouble 
There's problems. There's battered lives that they are contending with. They've been knocked around. They've been knocked down. Many that come into a church house, their self-esteem has been shot. They reach for the low shelf because life and deceiving spirits and everything has told them that's all you can reach. You can't go to the high. And so Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he had a lot of mess that he was dealing with with the church at Corinth. The Bible says that there were divisions, there was fornication taking place, there were people taking each other to court. Man, there's a mess going on. And as a result of that, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos that was taking place. But Paul told them this in that first letter in Corinth, in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul told them, he said, charity or love, he said, charity edifieth. Love Edifieth. The word edifieth just basically means builds up. He said charity, love builds up. One translator said it like this, what is really needed to build the church is love. See, Paul was dealing with so many things in the church that had come into the church, a new fresh group of Gentiles, if you will, that had been born again of the water and the spirit. He was dealing with so many people and so many things that were broken down. There were things broken down. They were broken down because the people had been broken down. And they needed a genuine love of God, Paul was trying to tell them. What these people need is the love of God because charity edifieth. Love builds up. Love has the ability of taking the things that are broken down and assembling them and putting them back together and building them up. Paul says what the Corinthian church needs is love to pervade in that place because it can take everybody's lives that are broken down and, and, and disarray and love can edify it. It can put the mortar and the brick back together and it can build the people back up. And if you get the people built back up, then the things that they are attached to, the circumstances and situations they find themselves in, all the chaos stops because love Love, love gets exalted and it builds people and as a result builds the circumstances they are a part of back up and make them whole. He's so convinced about the power of the love of God that at the end of his letter, just at the end of his letter, as a way of departure and closing up, he just said, let all your things be done with Charity, let all your things be done with... Now, that's a broad brush, I know, but I think it's a good one to implement. Let all your, all your things be done with love. Bible says in Romans 15, 7, to love as God loves. He says, wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of, the, of God. You've got to watch these verses that throw in that word as Christ stuff. Because they are setting us up, taking us to school. Wherefore, receive ye one another. It's just like Bishop. If he just said to love, we'd, all re we'd be great in whatever condition our love was. But when he put in there as God loves, here, maybe he took this from the Apostle Paul. I don't know. He isn't Paul, but still, yeah, his name's Paul as well, but... Receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Look, Christ is not picky or choosy about who comes to him for redemption. He doesn't respect one above the other. 
or one beyond the other. But in this, he, he receives, the Bible says, us. He's receiving us to the glory of God. That's Romans. He's receiving even the Gentiles. He's receiving those at Corinth. All these different churches, you see the letters. He's received all these uh, to the glory of God. They says, in like manner, you need to receive others. If they come in whatever condition they are and God doesn't refuse them, who are we as a church or institution to refuse them? If we're to love as God. You're telling me we have the right to refuse what he accepts? We have the right to say no to the ones that he says, come on. You're welcome here. Amen. We will tonight. We'll go to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs that is called. You can just turn over that way and then we'll get into it just here, just a tidbit. I know this isn't necessarily the most uh, preached from uh, uh, book of the Bible, but I, there's something I just want to draw out of this for us this evening. The, the, the Song of Solomon, also known as the Song of Songs, it is really nothing more but a poem, but it is a poem that is presented as a dialogue between two characters, uh, Solomon, namely, and this, this woman that he had an affection for uh, called in the, in the Song of Solomon as the Shulamite woman. And many times uh, these, these two, Solomon and the Shulamite woman, has been accepted as a type or a representation of Christ and his church. Or if we could even break it down even, even better, of Christ and people or individuals whether they're a part of the church or not, okay? And I'll prove my point concerning that in just a little bit. And so we know from Scripture, the Bible says that, that Solomon wrote about 1,005 songs. It tells us that in, in 1 Kings 4, that he wrote about 1,005 songs that Solomon authored. But this song was the best song. I mean, it was at the top of the chart, so to speak, all right? This was the best song, and it was named the Song of Songs. And, and that's just, uh, Brother Mason may even be able to tell us, but in the Hebrew, whenever you look at that, at the Song of Songs, there is no other way. It's the most exalted way to designate a musical work. Like, it's the best possible. It is the finest song ever. My kids sometimes go around, we do something fun. It's like, best day ever. Well, that's the Song of Solomon. Best song ever. It is the Song of Songs. And not, 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 uh, not a surprise, but this song is a song about love. It's the best song, the finest song of the 1,005 songs that he wrote, and it's a song, a song about love. The love that Solomon had for the Shulamite or the representation of the love that Christ has. Because notice, it's the love that Solomon had for the Shulamite, but whenever he first encounters the Shulamite, she is not his wife, not his fiancée, she is a vine dresser somewhere. So we're talking about a man who is loving someone that is not his wife or bride as of yet. And so this is a good representation then of Christ, the love that he has, not just for his church, all right, not for the bride, but even before she ever was the bride. The love that he has. And so this is what the Bible says, Song of Solomon 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the Shulamite. And she's kind of speaking out here. She has some insecurities. 
She has some insecurities. She says, I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Keter, which was goats, black goats hair. That's where the blackness comes in. She's, she's given a reference how black she is. Uh, as the curtains of Solomon, look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. She says, this has come upon me because I've been out in the sun a lot. Well, why have you been out there? She said, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. I was a vine dresser. I, was a kid. I spent a lot of rigorous hours and work out in the vineyards and being out in the, the sun, it's made my skin swarthy and I, I'm, I'm just very dark from the sun. And my own vineyard, I have not kept. And so the Shulamite is just kind of expressing her insecurities. I, I got a little complex here about the darkness of my skin and then it's due because of what I've done, the rigorous work that I've been a part of in the vineyard. I'm a blackened vine grower out here. And, and, and she, she, you read the scripture, she must have been in somewhat of a rustic environment whenever you compare this to the, the pomp of the palace and, and King Solomon and everything that he would come from and have to offer. They're two different, diverse worlds. Very rustic, very very just down to earth. You know, she's blackened by the sun and, you know, someone probably carrying an umbrella over his head. You know what I'm saying? Just two different worlds right here. And she's a little insecure about where she is in her life. But whenever she begins and this relationship starts with Solomon, this relationship starts with Solomon. And I want to just put in a little footnote here and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of lean on that a little bit more later. It seems like through the Song of Solomon that Solomon is the one that made the advancements toward the Shulamite. Just put, just put your finger there, okay, and fold the page over. And so there's this interest that's starting to go back and forth between Solomon and the Shulamite. And in the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 4 and verse number 7, this is Solomon speaking to her. He says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Now, she has just earlier been speaking of her insecurity. She'd been blackened by the sun. She's a vine dresser. Her hands are probably callous like an old piece of splintered wood. I mean, she, she's had a rough life growing up, her, her time that's been out in the vineyard, and yet he's got her hands, dreamy eyes, looking at her and says, Thou art all fair, my love, and there is no spot in thee. There's no flaw in thee. Now, he was, try, he was speaking to her insecurities. He was speaking to this complex that she had of her past life and what her past life had imposed upon her. And we're sitting back thinking, how in the world, Solomon, can you say this with any decency or integrity? You're lying straight through your teeth. She's a vine dresser, for goodness sake. She's blackened by the sun. How can you say this with integrity? The Bible says in Song of Solomon 2 and 4 that he, Solomon brought me, the Shulamite, to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. His banner over me was love. Solomon's banner, or if you want the representation of Christ and people in general, Christ's banner over her, or might I say us, was love. Now, what does that do? Well, does that, does that banner remove the fact that her skin had been weathered by the circumstances of working in the, as a vine dresser? Did it remove the fact of her past and what that had done to her body and her hands? No! Didn't do any of that. Didn't remove any of those things. It didn't remove the fact that that had been there. But that banner means that in spite of her imperfections, in spite 
of her skin blackened by the sun. In spite of some knobby spots on her hands, he says, you know what? I still choose to love you in spite of all, because my banner over you is love. Amen. I choose to love you. I'm looking through my love that I have for Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter where they come from, Brother Terry. It doesn't matter what vineyard per se they've been working in and what that's imposed upon their life and what that's imposed upon the dynamics of their family. When they come here, if we love as God loves, we'll be able to look at them and say, Thou art fair. I don't see no spot. I don't see no flaw. Not because there is a one, but because I'm choosing to look at you through the eyes of love. The love of God. You're my banner over you is love man I really need to start moving here interesting to me the Song of Solomon was one, one of five scrolls that was read, or usually read by the Jews at some of their various feasts. The Song of Solomon in particular is one that's read during the Feast of Passover. Passover, as we know from Exodus 12 and 13, is the time children of Israel is brought out of bondage. 430 years of serving with rigor. Slime pits. Making brick with and without straw rigor but deliverance happened God called them out and he says you're my people you're my nation they read the song of Solomon during that time why there's a lot of parallels there they come from a hard spot in life they come from years of bondage but God says I'll take you as you are and I'll take you from there and I'm going to take you to a land of promise but I'm not waiting to put my name on you once you get to the promise I'm putting my name on you right now you're my people isn't it amazing in New Testament scripture Acts chapter number 8 and particularly verse number and Acts chapter number 9 that when we read the scripture Ananias was sent by the Lord to Saul who would become Paul who was a persecutor of the Christians and whenever Ananias laid his hands on him he did what the spirit amen instructed him to do and he said brother, brother, brother Saul he said the Lord has sent me to you you're going to be a preacher you're going to be this but what always just fancied me was that Ananias said, Brother Saul. Why? Because I'm not waiting to put my name on you until you've had the transition. I'm not waiting to put my name on you until everything's said and done. But where you are presently, we're already putting our name on you. We're claiming you. <laughs> to love as God loves is when they first ever walked through the door and said, We're going to put our name on you. We're going to... We're not waiting for some grand thing to happen. We're going to put some ownership on you right now. I got to run. 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 Everybody okay? Another thing, the song, song of songs, the idea of this being a love song or a song with the subject matter being mostly about love and that it's presented in a dialogue type manner of she speaking sometimes, he speaking sometimes, sometimes there's a third party that's speaking and all this, that it's a dialogue, I think underscores the importance 
that communication is very important in developing deep and abiding relationships. It's a song of love, yet it is pinned out as a dialogue, as a communicative tool. What are you saying then, Brother McGee? I believe to love as God loves means that whenever people come in here and sit down, that we need to have lines of communication. Well, you get up there and preach and talk to us all. No. I'm not talking about, not talking about communication. I'm talking about we need to talk to people. Amen. We need to show some interest in them. Get their name. You, you know, I'll show you a trick. Now, Brittany, Brittany and y'all, both Brittany's, all of you, I'm about ready to pull, I'm about ready to pull the trick. How did he, how was he so suave to stand up there and name people by name, some that he just met tonight? Because I got this little index card here. I'm not ashamed. I got this little index card from there. I shook their hands. I went over and shook some other people's hands here in the church. Now, as I was shaking their hands, you know what I was doing? I was writing their names down. Yeah. Well, what's the deal with that? Well, I think it's important after you met somebody that you're able to address them by their name. You know, being addressed as you kind of gets old after a while. Glad to have you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Don't watch it. You will make up most of the congregation. We say, hey, you, and everybody turn their heads. Now, I know this is funny and hilarious maybe to a certain degree, but can I get serious for the church family here just for a moment? I'm a little disappointed when I mention the name of someone that may have been coming for some time and others kind of look at me and say, who or who is that? Well, let's take up an offering and go home again. <laughs> Seriously. And, and, is this okay? Guest, we love you, and this is the reason why I talk like this. We love you. You know, it shouldn't be that you catch on to that because they came to a spot in their life that they needed prayer and I make the gesture out here to the audience and say, let's remember Sister Samantha. She's, and they're like, oh, that's their name. Really? Really? Oh, get to know. You want to love as God loves? Get to know him. Communicate with him. An old song Michael W. Smith used to sing, some of the stanzas were, and the song was entitled, Give It Away. Some of the stanzas were this. It said, we can entertain compassion for a world in need of care, but the road of good intentions doesn't lead to anywhere because love isn't love till you give it away. Yeah, till you give it away. At another stanza, it said, there was a man who walked on water. Guess who that was? Who came to set the people free. He was the ultimate example of what love can truly be because his love was his life and he gave it away. You gotta give it away. And so I, I come back to the verse that I started with tonight in, in 1 John four nineteen in this one chapter here that has about 27 times the word love occurring. He's, the Bible says we love him, speaking of God, 
We love him. We love God because he, God, first loved us. Did everybody? It's a short verse, I know. So don't scan over it too quickly. We love him because he first loved us. Listen, I think at times we have the tail wagging the dog. The tail wagging the dog. Not normal. We automatically want people to love this church. In our minds we think, man, what's not to love? (sighs) But if Scripture, if it's predicated here that people loved God, because he first loved them, don't think for a moment that as a church we're going to be any better than God. If human love was a response to divine love, then we must love as God loves. And if we want them to love us, we must actively, intentionally demonstrate a divine love of God to them. God loved them first and then they loved him. We got to love them so they can love us. The divine love of God issuing. I hope everybody's doing okay. I'm doing great, mind you. I met my wife several, several years ago. I was, was I 13 or 14? I was 15? You was 15. I was 14. I was 14 years old. I met her at a little function called a winter warm-up. It was a service. After that, they had festivities and stuff at a YMCA in Kentucky. She was from Tennessee. I was from Indiana. No, no, no. You're not even in this illustration, so you just settle down. This is, this is stuff we deal with around here. <laughs> Welcome to the family. We, they had festivities. We played volleyball. There was racquetball to be done. And this girl, I feel like, was pursuing me. <laughs> now, we need to preface all this. Understand, I'm the youngest of five children, and the rest of all of them are girls. So my lens concerning the female nature was a little bit tainted. All right? I know most people don't even know a woman, maybe in the, in the degree that you should know a woman, uh, uh, in certain of their, their, their little, what can you say, idiosyncrasies and things of that nature until you're married. But I had four sisters, all older than me. And so I got a preview before it was even time to view. <laughs> Is everybody all right? Man, I might really be opening some old wounds tonight. I needed this healing. I appreciate that. <laughs> but with that being said, whenever I was a, a little boy in kindergarten, there was this girl I had an affection for. Her name was Sally. 
I may have told this before, so just endure it. But I love Sally. I told my mom, coming home from school from kindergarten, I was going to marry Sally. We had in our school these little cubes. They were little cubes where you hung your coats and stuff. They were just cubes. They were on rollers. You hung your coats. And I don't know what possessed Sally that particular day, but we were talking back by those cubes, and Sally became upset. And Sally pushed this little boy into the cube. Well, all that did was firm up what I already had thinking from my childhood bringing up in a household of four girls. I mean, there were times, I remember, oh, we could tell some stories right now. But as a result of that, my interest in girls went south right after that. I'm serious. I didn't have no interest in, in, in girls, dating a girl, kissing a girl, so on and so forth. It's not that I didn't like to have them in the world because I knew that's how I came into the world, but... You know, I was living life all right without one. And that would be the case until I met Dawn. Never had, another, never had a girlfriend. Never had kissed a girl. I'm 15 years old. 14. 14 years old. And so I felt like this girl was, was, was pursuing me. I really did. Because we'd play volleyball. She said, what do you want to do next? She's constantly asking these, what do you want to do next? You want to go play racquetball? Now get this, I'm 14 years old. I don't know, I think I need to rest a little bit. <laughs> what 14-year-old do you know that's got to rest? She is pursuing me, and I don't know what I'm going to do about how I'm feeling about this right now. Yeah, I'm tired. You want to do this, you want to do that? And I had an excuse for everything. Oh, no, 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 no. What was my, my problem was this. I'd never experienced this before. You know, Sally pushed me into the cubes. But this girl is pursuing. I felt like, I might be wrong, she'll straighten me out at home, not here. I felt like this girl was pursuing me. And I didn't know what I needed to do with this. I, I didn't know how to properly respond to this. Just making excuses and trying to give me some room to clear my head. But over time, her persistence won me over. Why? Because I kind of liked what I was sensing from. <laughs> Call it chemistry or whatever was going on. She won me over because she was persistent in doing it. At first, I didn't know what to do with it. I wasn't even sure about it or how to feel about it. But because of the consistency. Being insistent, what do you want to do next? You want to do it? She won me over. The application is this. People come in. They're going to automatically, if we love as God loves, be approached with something. It's like, what is this? I don't know what to do th with this. I don't know how to respond to this. And they might even distance themselves a little bit like, this is, I, I just don't know. But if you'll be persistent, be very wise in your love, and love as God loves, you know what they'll do? I'll just be pulling them in. Slowly but sure, you'll just pull them in. They'll feel that love. They'll feel, some of them will feel something that they've never felt like in the entirety of their life. But you just got to keep loving. Got to keep loving. Oh, man, I got to go. Whew. One man said, that, and I say man, the, the author is really unknown and, Probably with good reason, actually. But he said the best thing about 
about ministry is the people. And the worst thing about ministry is the people. It's probably why it's unknown. But I said this to say this. As a church, you're around church, you're around people, you're around anything very long. Here's what happens. I can speak from experience. You get burnt by people. You listening to me? You get burnt by people. As a church member, whoever you are, you can start to get cynical about people. I don't know how many times we get calls that just church people needing help, and if we can, we try to. But you can get burnt. You can get cynical. I'm just being transparent. I hope this doesn't ruin you and you lose your, 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 your confidence in me. But you get cynical about people. To the degree that you will allocate how much love you're willing to give. Because let's face it, if you love, you make yourself vulnerable to get hurt. If you love, you make yourself vulnerable to be taken advantage of. And to sidestep being hurt and being taken advantage of, we allocate our love then. Because we say, this ain't our first rodeo. Being here, done that, got the t-shirt. And so, we, we, we kind of are careful with our love. I'd even say in the past six months, I've had this occur in my own life being cynical, being somewhat uh, calloused, if you will. In certain episodes, my wife is absolutely knows about concerning allocating love because been there. Know their motive, dealt with them before. This is how it's always been. But that's not to love as God loves. There was a scripture that caught my attention before we ever got to this, but leading up to this in recent weeks, Matthew 26 and 2. I'm trying to hurry, folks. If you all would just be still, we could get this accomplished. Seriously, I try to end at 8.30 here on Wednesdays. You all know that. Matthew 26 and verse number 2, the Bible says, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Jesus is saying that. The Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Look at verses 20 and 21 of that same chapter. Now, when even was come... He sat down with the 12, the 12 disciples, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So he told them from the very onset, he knows that one of the 12 is going to betray him. One of the 12 is going to betray him to be crucified. According to the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, the Bible says that after this time of eating, that Jesus would rise up from the supper, he'd lay aside his garments, and he would take a towel, and he would gird it about his waist, and then he would go through methodically and wash each of his disciples' feet. All 12 of them. He would wash their feet. Everybody say, including Judas. Including Judas. He would methodically pour water on their feet and dry it with a towel. Every single one of them, including Judas. The one that Christ already knew would betray him. The one that Christ already knew would do this. So Christ washed Judas's feet. He humbled him. Do you understand this? He humbled himself in order to do that. Cast off his garments, put on the garments of a menial task of what normally a slave or, or those of the house would do. But he humbled himself to do this work and he was doing it for the one he knew would betray him. 
and who had already betrayed him in his heart. As a matter of fact, prior to all this, Judas has already been scheming about how to accomplish this betrayal. And Jesus, the all-knowing, he knew that, he knew that, but he did not bypass serving Judas in this way of washing his feet, although he had knowledge, this is the one that's going to betray me. The Bible even says in verse number 2 of John 13, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil worked on him right in that moment before he even started washing feet. Man, working on Judas, that he's going to betray the Lord. And Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart. Why, Jesus, did you wash all the disciples' feet, including Judas, when you knew it wasn't a hunch. It wasn't something that he thought that wasn't going to materialize. He knew he was going to be betrayed. But why did you do that? Because love pushed him to still try to impact Judas's life. I think his old sermon to the carpenter preached one time that the devil had come and swayed the heart of Judas, but the Lord went down to his feet and said, if I can still direct you, if I can still direct you, love's drawing me to try. It's my last ditch effort, if you will, to try to direct you. And then even in the garden when Judas comes and he signifies who the Lord is by putting a kiss of betrayal up on his cheek, it's in that very episode that Jesus speaks to Judas and says, friend... Wherefore art thou? What are you doing, Jesus? You know why he's here. This is no question. You knew it when he washed his feet. And now he's out in these band of men. All that. What are you doing? He's still loving. He hasn't yet paid off the debt of love to Jesus. He keeps. What are you saying then tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. That it's easy to become cynical. Particularly with repeat, what we would call repeat offenders and want to allocate our love because we know per se. But if Jesus knew without doubt and still did the deed and washed the feet, then who are we to withhold the love of God? We're going on a hunch from past history what it may turn out like. But who knows if this time through your consistency and persistence of love that it could alter the whole path from there on out stand with me I'm so sorry Luke 6 32 says this for if we love them that if you love them which you love you what thank have you for sinners also love those that love them you're not big, no big, big thing if you love somebody that already loved you. No, it's loving those that not even loved you yet. So our mission to start with tonight as a church is to love as God loves. These fine folks that have been guests with us tonight, we want to go away and hopefully that they'll say, you know, I felt, I felt the love of God, you know, from those people. I, I, I felt appreciated. I felt wanted from those people. Griffin Thomas said this, and I'll end, and I'll be still. I promise I will. He said, God's love, if we're to love as God loves, God's love is spontaneous in its source, 
universal in its scope. doesn't matter race, creed, dialect, nationality. Universal in scope. Long-suffering in intensity. Doesn't die down. Doesn't fade. Self-sacrificing in character. To love as God loves means times whenever it's inconvenient, you go on and do it. Aggressive in action. It's not sitting passively along the sidelines. As I said earlier, waiting on them to love us. No, we, we pursue as my dear wife did. Not my wife then, but years ago did me. And it's constant in duration. You love them tomorrow. You love them the next day. You love them next week. They might vacillate from here to there. I like you. I don't like you. It is. It don't matter. You just. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.